right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Langa Podcast. Solly here. Irish fans rejoice. We got her. Leona McGuire is coming up shortly. First, a quick check-in with our friends at Callaway Golf. We told you last Sunday about Callaway's new line of Rogue ST drivers. Promise you'll be hearing about the rest of the product family today. We're working our way through the bag. We're going to talk about the Rogue ST Fairway Woods. The new Rogue ST Fairway Woods are Callaway's longest fairway woods ever, mainly thanks to a new and improved jailbreak structure. It provides speed and stability by moving Moving the jailbreak bars to the perimeter of the face. The distance also comes from lower spin and more ball speed thanks to a tungsten speed cartridge, which moved the center of gravity more towards the front of the club. There's three models. There's the Rogue ST Max. That's going to fit a majority of players. The Max D is the highest launching and most draw bias of the models. And the LS is the lowest spinning and most compact head shape of the three. You can learn more about the Rogue ST line of fairway woods and figure out which one is right for you at CallawayGolf.com slash RogueFW. That's CallawayGolf.com slash RogueFW. Let's get to Leona McGuire. Do you have any idea how excited our, our Irish fans are going to be when they see your name pop up on our podcast feed this week? No, I mean, I've, I've always said that Irish fans are the best fans in the world, so I'm I'm lucky to have the support of a lot of people back home. So, uh, yeah, I hear they've been on, on your guys' back for a while. <laughs> It's crazy. I, I We cover a lot of golfers all over the world on both men's and women's side. I'd have to say your support rivals any, anything else we see for any other player. It's really, really impressive. So uh, <laughs> how have you – so we're getting to the LPGA season starting up this this week. You, you're you're going to be playing your first tournament next week. How have you spent your off season? Yeah, I mean, it's it's come by really quickly. It always seems like we have lots of time in the off season, and then it, it goes by in a flash. So got to go home for about a month, which was nice catch up with some friends and family and, and take it easy. It, fe- it felt like this sort of 2020-2021 season kind of rolled all into one. So it almost felt like a two-year season. So definitely needed a, a, some rest and recovery after that. And yeah, just worked on a few things then with my coach and got in the gym a little bit. And yeah, I headed back out to Orlando last week and a couple of weeks in, in some warmer weather than Ireland uh, to, to sort of get back into the swing of things before the season starts. What's your reception like when you do go home? Is it is it is it different than uh, than any other time in your life? It's definitely a lot busier. I suppose I don't get to go home quite as often as I used to. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of usual demands on my time when I go back. But it's nice. It's nice to I suppose be busy and, and that people want to talk to you and want you to do things. And but it's always nice to spend time with family as well and, and catch up with my friends. And I suppose Christmas is one of those nice times where a lot of people are off or at home or or that sort of thing. So it's it's normally a little bit less hectic than when I go home and maybe in a, in a gap before the British or, or something like that in the summertime. Do you like the way the LPGA season flows? And you, you've had, you've, yeah, I guess you're coming off your rookie season, which was really two seasons kind of in one here. So you, you know, you don't have a ton of history to compare it to, but in terms of, you know, some time off, does it feel like the right number of events? Does that help contribute to, you know, the best players being on the course at the same events more often? I'm curious your perspective out on that after a couple of years out on tour. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm still kind of figuring it out, still figuring out which courses I like, which events I like, and which ones sort of maybe to skip and, and that sort of thing. Um, it definitely, it's a, it's a little bit of a slow start to the season. We've got these couple of events in Florida, and then we've got three weeks off, and then we go to Asia. So 
the season is a little bit of a slow burn and then it gets really hectic really quick. And those summer months are definitely pretty hectic. Obviously, this year without the, the Solheim Cup and the Olympics, the summer is a little less hectic, which is nice. I mean, that was a, just a crazy stretch last year. We did we went from America back to Evia, and then we went to Tokyo, then we came back for Scottish British, and then we pretty much went straight to Solheim. That was, that was probably the craziest sort of stretch of golf on, on three different continents in a very short space of time. So that was... That was definitely a lot to deal with, but I think this this year will probably flow that little bit better. And I suppose hopefully with, with travel restrictions and all of that easing up, it, it'll be a little easier. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely certain tournaments people like going to. There's definitely tournaments people tend to skip. So still still kind of figuring that out. And I guess any of those ones that you play well at, you, you definitely want to go back again. Well, how would you characterize how your, you know, your your 2020 slash 2021 season, how does that align with, you know, maybe the goals that you would have set for yourself? Just wondering how, how you know, where you stand with uh, with your current game and accomplishments to this point in your career. Yeah, I mean, my, my rookie season went pretty much as well as I could have hoped. Uh, 2020 was a big learning year for me, figuring things out. And um, I guess we were lucky, my rookie class, to get that sort of year and a half to, to figure things out. And Last year, I, f- I felt really comfortable with my game. It was really, really consistent, which was nice. And got a few top tens and, and got in contention a few times. Didn't didn't quite finish it off the way I would have liked in, in a couple of those. But overall, a lot of positive sort of to take from that. And picked up a little length last year, which which definitely helped um, going into those greens. I, I feel like I'm at a point where I'm never going to be the longest on tour, but long enough where it's not a disadvantage. And then just sort of, Definitely learned last year that, that iron play is a big thing. Getting those approach shots in um, as close as possible, that's that's a big thing. And my putting has always been a strength of mine. So just relying on that, giving myself as many chances as I can. Is that something that you either knew going into your professional career or that maybe you've learned being out there that you or you know, did you feel like you needed to increase distance to compete out there? And does that do you see the benefits of adding some length into how that plays into your approach play and getting the ball closer to the hole with your second shot? Yeah, I mean, I think going going from college and the amateur ranks to to pro golf, a lot of the events I'd played on the LPGA were all majors, getting different exemptions from from winning things and that. So those golf courses are traditionally always longer. The pins are a little bit tough, greens are firmer. So definitely length has a huge advantage at at the majors. I would say being able to to go in with shorter clubs is is a massive advantage and and spin it to to be able to stop when those pins get tucked at the weekend. But um, overall, I think. Length is, yes, it's an advantage, but I would say there's still a premium on accuracy on the LPGA. Um, I mean, you look at, at Jin Young Cole's game, the many greens and regulations she hit, and obviously the success that sort of followed that. Nelly is obviously very long, but is a great iron player as well. So I think I'd rather be the best iron player on tour than the longest hitter on tour for sure. But it's, I mean, you have to do everything well. The LPGA is so strong right now. There's so many good players week in, week out. You kind of have to tick all the boxes, really. Is that, you know, I was going to save this one maybe for later, but uh, who do you, when you look around the LPGA Tour and everyone, I'm going to skip past the first answer because everyone's first answer is NB's putting. That they, if, you, if you look at any other skill any one player has uh, that you could steal, that you could trade your part of your game for, what, what comes to mind? And for, I know, I can see by the smirk on your face that NB's putting came to mind <laughs> to start. I think anybody in golf would take NB's putting. Um I mean, Inby's a lot of a lot of things. Short game wedges. I mean, I played with her in Carnoustie this year, and, and she hit it in a few fairway bunkers off the tee. But the amount of time she chipped it out and then got up and down from even 150 yards for par was was incredible. 
I mean, Lydia is always, when Lydia is on her game, Lydia is very, very impressive. Her wedge is her iron play. I mean, Nelly from top to bottom is very impressive. Jing Young, um, her approach shots. They're, they're probably, I mean, they're the top three players in the world right now for a reason. I think you'd, you take pretty much any part of, of their games. Well, let's back up then a little bit to to your background. Kind of tell us where you're from. Everyone knows you're from Ireland, but what's your what's your hometown like? You know, kind of what, what was your development into uh, and how did you end up at Duke University? That, that doesn't seem to be quite the normal path for a lot of golfers uh, coming from your, your neck of the woods. So where does that story start in your mind? Yeah, I mean, grew up in, in a town called Ballycom in, in Cavan in Ireland. Pretty small town, a few thousand people. It's not a big golfing community by any means. There's uh, the Slieve Russell Hotel, which has a golf course attached to it. And there's a nine-hole par three course at it and then an 18-hole. And you couldn't play the 18-hole course until you turned 12. So my sister Lisa and I, we started at the nine-hole um, par three course when we were about 10. Got three clubs to start off with. Dad got us a, like a driver, three-wood sort of thing. And then like a seven-iron and a putter. Worked our way up from there. And... So we played all sports growing up. It was never the intention to be a, a professional golfer. Loved every sport, played soccer, Gaelic football, did a lot of swimming when we were younger. And I mean, I hear a lot of girls that are, they say they picked up golf when they were three or four, or just after they stopped, started walking, that wasn't, I suppose we, we were considered late to the game almost, picking it up at, at 10, but took to it really quickly. And yeah, kind of snowballed. Played in Ireland in events, then then went over to Europe playing in some events. Got to got to play in the Junior Ryder Cup, uh, Junior Solheim Cup, and I remember going to the US Am in in Charleston in 2013, and it was sort of deciding is college golf the right path. And it seemed like then to us, a lot of the the best players at that US Am were in college, either in college or going to college, and reached out to to some of the coaches that had been touch um before with us and. Coach Russ came back from Duke and, and was very excited and visited a few places and visited Duke. And it was one of those things where our parents are both, both school teachers, so they wanted us to go somewhere where had a good standard of education and the degree would be worth something after we're done. And, yeah, I mean, what's what's not to love at Duke? The facilities were awesome, coaches, everything, the whole environment. Just I remember me and Lisa, we visited, and I was like, I want to go here. And she's like, I want to go here too. So that's kind of where where our journey at Duke started, went over there with, with a suitcase and golf clubs. Mom came over, dropped us off, got us settled in, and, and off we went. So you go to Duke, and you, you're, I, I, I was predicting that you would probably do this. You're probably going to downplay your amateur career and how how successful you were, and I can already see that coming, so I'm not going to let that happen here. But you go and kind of just – Let's just you say let's just say it. you ran things freshman year. You win ACC. You were second in nationals, national freshman of the year, national player of the year. When does the conversation turn to professional golf? And and you know, fast forwarding here, you end up playing three more years of amateur golf. Why was that? What led to that decision? And and what, how do you look back on that decision now? It was always my intention to play four years. Um, it did. It didn't really cross my radar those first two years at all. I remember. I think I got presented with the Annika Award after we were done. That's that stroke play section, and I remember coming back into the clubhouse and all that. And I remember Emma Talley, one of my good friends, coming up to me and going, "Are you going to come back next year?" I was like, "Obviously, of course." It wasn't wasn't even a consideration. But then people started asking the question, "Are you are you going to turn pro? Are you going to come back?" And for me, that wasn't even a question. I 100% was coming back all of that every year, and um thought about it I think after my sophomore year my sophomore year didn't go quite as as well as I would have liked um 
wasn't enjoying it as much and, and thought maybe maybe now's the time to go turn pro and, and, and head for the LPGA and then played Q school. Had a good chat with my dad, with, with the coaches after that and said, you know what, I've made a commitment here. I've had a great time at Duke. Let's do two more years and I'll be in an even better position to go to the LPGA at, after two years. And um, I really, really wanted to win a national championship at Duke. I think that was a big part of why I stayed. We came close a few times, but but didn't quite get that done. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was important for me to sort of honor that commitment to to the coaches and the teammates that believe in me. And I mean, Duke's an incredible place. I had I had a phenomenal four years there. I enjoyed pretty much every minute of it, and um, it goes by it goes by quickly. And I feel like those are years you're never going to get back. The LPGA is always going to be there. And I remember talking to some of the girls that were out here. That's what they always said. Don't be in any rush. The LPGA is not going anywhere. You'll never get those college years back. And I mean, I haven't back on that decision since. A very quick break here to check in with our friends at BMW. They've been a longtime supporter of our content. Uh, we don't talk about them too much here on the podcast. That's going to change this coming year because they're making some changes. They got some brand new stuff. You might have thought BMW was just the ultimate driving machine, but it is so much more. It's also the ultimate electric driving machine, the ultimate buddies trip machine. You see it. See us using uh, driving BMWs on all of our tourist sauce trips. The ultimate design machine, because the ultimate cannot be contained to just one thing. All electric, all BMW. Visit BMWUSA.com to learn more about the iX and the i4. Let's get back to the Eleanor McGuire. You played in a lot of professional events as an amateur. You know, for for several years, you played in major championships. You made cuts in major championships. When you do flip the switch and turn over to playing professional golf, does it feel different when you put the tee in the ground for the first time and you're and you're officially playing as a professional? Yeah, I mean, it was a little different. I think it was nice to have that experience of playing in some of those bigger majors and, and stuff like that. So I knew what to expect. A lot of the the faces were familiar, either from junior golf or college golf or those pro events that I, I played in. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's different. There's, there's no cuts in college golf. There's, there's none of that. And, and I think the scheduling of it, that was, that was something completely new to me going week to week, to week, to week, new state, new country, every other week. That was, that was completely different to me. We'd never, never done that before. So that was definitely a big adjustment. I mean, you learn kind of, as you go along, I guess a little bit of trial and error in that regard. How has your your comfort level evolved on playing on the LPGA tour? You know, were you maybe a bit gun shy in the beginning, and now starting to feel a little bit more like you belong? What's that progression been like? Yeah, definitely. I think any rookie sort of coming out, you're not quite sure of how things are done or, or what happens. You're definitely sort of going on to the putting green those first few weeks, getting a hole away from everybody else in a quiet corner. You're same on the driving range, or you're kind of you're looking up and down the range. To, I mean, essentially, you're you're playing with the the people that you've grown up watching on TV for the last ten, fifteen years, and then all of a sudden you're you're competing alongside them week in week out. So it's it's definitely a little bit of an adjustment that a mindset of feeling like you deserve to be there. And I think that was something that yeah, I was glad I went the Symmetra route that I really felt like I'd earned my spot on the LPGA, that my game was in a in a place that um I. I deserve to be be there and, and competing against the best players in the world. But it also every, every everything is new. Every every golf course is new. You have to learn how how things are done, the range, all of all of that different different sort of stuff. So um yeah, I mean I've been I've been fortunate to have have some players give me advice along the way and, and sort of ease that transition as well. 
Well, not only that, you know, you go from 135 straight weeks as the number one amateur on tour, and you did not qualify for the LPGA tour right out of school, and you go out to the Symmetra tour. What what did you learn about, you know, being a professional playing out on, on the Symmetra tour? I've heard, you know, a lot of stories of, you know, just learning about traveling and hotels to stay in and all these things. You know, what was your year on the Symmetra tour like in that regard? Yeah, I mean, like you said, you go from being a in a big fish in a quite a small pond to a very small fish in in a gigantic ocean when you turn pro like you turn pro your amateur record doesn't matter nobody cares um you have to earn your stripes all over again so yeah i mean symmetra's an adjustment we it's a lot of random places i i felt like i went to some some places in america that i never thought i'd i'd go to before my first event was in decatur illinois yeah which yeah, it's those golf cor- a lot of the golf courses were great, which was was really good prep. The fields were so deep, and and knowing that you had to shoot a few under par to to make the cut every week. I think it was it was learning how to make cuts, then moving day on Saturday and and posting numbers that sort of thing. That I definitely learned a lot with that, and and also with the scheduling. I think you go from college, you're so busy in college. You have your golf schedule, your class schedule, workouts, hang out with friends, all of that. It's you you don't have time to think, but it's also all planned out for you. Whereas you turn pro and all of a sudden you have you have a lot of free time. And I suppose the struggle for me was having all that free time and resisting the urge to just practice all the time because I had so much time. Um, so for planning out my weeks a bit bit better, so I wasn't completely flat by the end of the year. And I played that second half of the season on Symmetra right after I turned pro after college, and I was completely flattened by the time I got to Q school. I was way too tired at Q school and ended up missing by a shot. But really, if I if I had planned out my my schedule and and things a bit better, um, maybe things would have worked out differently. But that's that's something you have to figure out. But definitely learned a lot that that year, two thousand and nineteen, on on Sumatra and just competing week in week out and and playing pro arms and and all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, I think my my class on Sumatra that year did did pretty well. Obviously, Paddy won a major. And, and that's so um it was definitely good prep yeah that's kind of the that's kind of something that you just are going to have that's trial by fire that's something you have to learn that way there's no other way to learn that those kind of lessons than than actually go through them and uh you know feel that exhaustion i'm sure it's just you're chomping at the bit to play as much golf as possible and trying to get better but learning the part of being a professional is knowing when to dial it back and find some balance i'm sure is a hard yeah i mean and and another big thing i guess for me was was learning how to work with caddy and in college, Coach Brooks, our coaches sort of taught us to be as independent as possible. Um, some coaches are there all the time, other teams, all that. I literally hardly ever saw our coaches. John, sometimes Coach Brooks, hardly ever. He, in, in in college, in my four years, he only probably saw me hit a handful of golf shots, and that was usually on, on 17 or 18 in the last day, and I knew it was important when he appeared. So... I'd gone from being so independent to, to all of a sudden having a caddy there 24-7 and I didn't know what to do with him for the first few weeks. I didn't know. I was pulling my own clubs, doing my own yardages, all of that. And yeah, I suppose getting getting the most out of that relationship was, was a big learning learning experience for me. And, and that year on the Symmetra Tour definitely helped with that. Hmm. That's interesting. I've never, I've never heard that as a, a, a growing pain to learn from, but I've been dying. I made it this far in. I want to talk Solheim cup. I'm sure you're, I'm sure it's a, it's a fresh enough memory that you're not, uh, you're not, you're not tired of talking about it just yet. So you come out, you're a rookie on the team. 
you played five matches. Was that always the plan? When did you learn or know that you were going to be playing that much? Were they, you know, was uh, was Captain Matthews just riding the hot hand? How did that How did that play out? Yeah, I mean, not in a million years did I think I, I'd play five matches. I I had a call with Paul McGinley uh, a few days before we we flew out to to Toledo just for some advice, and obviously he was a very successful Ryder Cup captain and, and Ryder Cup player himself. So just picked his brains a little bit and. A lot of what we talked about was what to do when I wasn't playing. Those those sessions, if you, if you were dropped in the morning, how do you prepare? How do you get ready? How do you conserve energy? How do you warm up? All that sort of thing. If you're dropped in the afternoon, again, how do you build up that energy, cheer on your teammates, whatever it is, that dynamic. That We, we spent quite a bit of time planning that. We didn't plan for five matches. That, he, he basically told me, he's like, you're a rookie. You won't play five matches probably nobody will play five matches if they do it it probably would be a veteran player um so the intention was never for me to play five but i guess someone probably has to i knew i knew there was a few of the girls in the team that had requested afternoons off and, and stuff like that to be be fresh for the singles and I, I mean i was just riding the wave i guess of of adrenaline and whatever and we knew the pairings for those first two uh, that those first two matches the the first day and then Beanie said that night, she told us who was going out in the foursomes and then said the four ball matches that uh, Sunday afternoon. She was like, I'll let you know as the as the morning unfolds. I'll try to get to you if I can't assume you're playing, but I'll try to get to everybody, that sort of thing. And I personally had assumed I'd probably be dropped for the afternoon. I was thinking there's no way I'll play five. I've had a good run, four is enough whatever and then uh, Suzanne appeared on I think me and Mel were going down the 12th 13th fairway maybe and we were quite a few up at that stage and she she just turned around and go you two are going again get finish this thing off and, and get ready to go again so and um, that was the realization of okay we're, we're going five here and I actually the first day I brought a second pair of shoes to the golf course with me knowing I was going out again that second day I didn't because <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be going in the afternoon again. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, ultimately it's, it's whatever you have to do for the team that, that role changes as, as the week goes on and just glad I was able to, to get my points. Well, th- this answer may be, may be obvious, but what, I mean, what is it about that environment that allowed you to thrive? I mean, I, I've not watched you play a lot of stroke play golf, but the your energy, like the way, how the speed at which you were walking, the fire, and like just the look on your face looks different than what we're used to seeing you play golf. Is that you know just a product of the environment and, and team golf in general? And am I onto something there? Do you do you when you watch that, do you see a different person? Yeah, I mean, I've I've always loved team golf. I've, I used to love representing Ireland in in amateur competitions. We used to have the European Team Championships every summer. It was my favorite event. Foursome singles used to play foursomes with my twin sister Lisa and had a blast doing that. Loved Curtis Cups, all that sort of thing. Junior Ryder Cups, Junior Solon Cups, and my four years at Duke was was were team events. Yes, there was a lot of there was a singles component to it, but my main objective every week was doing as well as I could for the team. And I think that's why I played so well in college. It was it was never about me. It was about the team. And I loved every minute of, of Solon, that that team atmosphere of doing doing your part for the team. I was obviously fortunate to have two great partners in, in Mel and Georgia who had a, a lot of experience under their belt. Two very different players and two very different dynamics. But I think Mel was great that first morning, especially with the draw we got against the Cordes. Um, 
I needed someone with me that wasn't afraid of Nelly and Jess, that respected them but wasn't afraid of them. And I think that that was great for me. I knew I knew she wasn't afraid and I knew she trusted me a hundred percent and I trusted her. And I think that was that was massive sort of in those partnerships, but with Jordan and with Mel. Well, what is it like playing with Mel? She seems like uh, just a, a, you guys seem like you have very contrasting personalities. And I think she even made a comment to that at some point after one, one of the rounds, but how did that pairing come about? And, and what's, what's it like playing with her? Cause she's intense. Yeah. I mean, I think that was a pairing. Like we said all week, we joked about it all week. Neither of us saw coming when Beanie, Beanie told us on, I think it was on the Wednesday night. We hadn't, practice together at that point we'd never we've never played we'd never played together ever in an LPG event in anything <laughs> I had no idea what her game was like but obviously grew up watching her on, on TV and stuff and um yeah Beanie was Beanie was going through the order and she was like and Nana and Latilla's gonna lead us off and um I think it was George and Celine which were two great parents to be going out first and second and Celine and, and George had obviously had a phenomenal record at, at Glen Eagles and then I was kind of going through it in my head and I said uh, I'm probably not playing the foursomes that's that's fine whatever I knew Charlie and, and then we're coming up and, and then she said Mel and I was like well I'm, I'm definitely not playing now and then she said Mel and Leona and I, I I think I nearly fell off my chair I, that was a that was a pairing I never saw coming but yeah I think just right off the bat we were we're super honest with each other about what we wanted, what what we thought was was best for the partnership. Um, remember, we went out that first morning on on Thursday to to play some foursomes, and we got to we went out in the back nine, and we got to ten and tenth green. And Mel says, "I want you to read all my putts, all my putts." And I was like, "Mel, I've never seen you hit a putt. I've I've no idea, I've no idea." And she's like, "No, you're good at reading putts. I want you to read my putts. I trust you, hundred percent. Dead weight. This is what I want." And we just went from there, and we had a lot of banter back and forth very different personalities probably but quite similar sense of humor i guess her being english me being irish that we kind of bounced off each other a bit and both very competitive neither of us wanted to lose and we gelled pretty well and, and bounced off each other quite nicely what is it about match play and one thing i've always loved about team events both solheim cup Ryder cup president's cup all team events is there's the number one player in the world number two player in the world whatever it may be a day into it, that person might seem really vulnerable and a, a different person emerges that is like, okay, that is the person that I don't think anyone's going to beat this week. And like, if I'm looking at this, I mean, this Solheim Cup was stacked on both sides. There's major champions all over the place. And you, you, know, you, you don't jump off the page going into it as being far and away the best player in the field. Yet something turned pretty quickly and it just became this thing where like in match play, I don't see that person losing a match. What is it? What is it about match play that is so different from stroke play in that in that realm? I've I watched it up close and I still can't fully wrap my head around how like if I you know Nelly was the number one player in the world at the time and if I'm comparing the two of you at like a major championship like I I have a hard time seeing Nelly losing to anyone yet in the match play I'm like I don't see Nelly beating Leona right now. Why is that in your mind? Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, statistics and rankings and, and all of that go out the window with match play. I don't know. I mean, if if we if we knew the answer, I think uh, I think it's 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 a lot of mental probably as well. You just need that never say die attitude in in match play. You're never truly out of it until it's over into that match over. There's, and and all it really takes is one shot, one shot to turn the entire match. Momentum is just so so key in match play. I think. As the European team, I think we we just hold a few pots at the right time, 
and any time they sort of felt like the momentum was swinging back towards the Americans, somehow we found a way to to swing it back. And the guys have done that in the, the Ryder Cup for years. You see people people like Poulter who've who've made a career out of playing phenomenal at, at the Ryder Cup. It's just I don't know what it is. As as Europeans, we just seem to find that whatever that competitiveness is, we, we grow up playing match play as well, which which definitely helps. I mean, a lot of our big amateur events are match play events. So we've we've grown up playing it from a young age. But yeah, we just we just find a way. It, it's hard to explain and I suppose you're you're doing it for your teammates and we weren't just a team of that I think that week. We were we were more of a family that week and we just really rallied behind each other and we weren't bothered by the crowds. We sort of embraced that silence and, and took on that role as underdogs and really, really well. And yeah, I mean it's it's hard to quantify what, what that means. Um but I think it does translate over in those matches. And how does it, you know, the team being a family, you mentioned that, and I, that was a huge takeaway for me. We were blessed with a great opportunity to be pretty up close and personal with, you know, with, with both teams and have, you know, we're not in the team meetings, but like we got to, we got to celebrate some of you guys afterwards. We're walking and we see like the team interactions, we hear the conversations and it, for the first time ever in team golf, I was able to at least like start to understand the value in having a strong team atmosphere and how that can help promote playing good golf how, how do you explain that how does you know just you know good team atmosphere help promote good golf shots that that's something that i think that link explaining that link has been a struggle for a lot of people that cover golf yeah 100 percent. i think every single person on that european team player caddy helpers captains everybody arrived in toledo with with an open mind of going i am here to do whatever it takes to help this team win we knew things were probably going to be stacked against us that week. We knew on paper we probably weren't supposed to win. Everything, the way the crowds were, all of that, on paper we, we weren't supposed to win. And we were honest about that. We wanted to win, but we knew that the chances weren't exactly in our favour. But every single person bought in. And I think that it filtered down from the top. Beanie was was so calm. Um, there was ne- Nothing was a problem, nothing was a panic. And I think that just filtered down throughout the team. Laura's the same. Suzanne was the same. I mean, fiercely competitive people, but incredibly calm. Everybody knew their role. Everybody knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing. So, yeah, I mean, I think everybody just felt really comfortable. There was no egos as well, which I think is massive in, in team golf. Um, I mean, Anna just won the British Open and she was treated the exact same as the rookies and went out of her way to help us rookies as well. So I think that those are the sort of things that are invaluable to a team, that the older players sort of taking the younger players under their wing, sharing experiences, just checking in. I mean, so many times throughout the week, sort of Carlotta, Mel, Anna, Suzanne coming up to me, just going, are you okay? Do you need anything? How's it going? This is coming up. Just just the communication was, was massive as well, um, knowing exactly what where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do. And, and we also had fun. I mean, we had ping pong tables, snooker tables, um, cards, everything going in the team room. Everything was kept relaxed. There was no, there was no big team bonding uh, activities, no schedules sort of things. There was no, I know the Americans did personality tests and a lot of schedule things that they had to do. We, we had none of that. There was no frills, no fuss. It was all pretty organic and, and everybody genuinely got along and enjoyed spending time with each other, which that's something you you can't teach. It's either it's either there or there it's not. But um Beanie Beanie was a an incredible captain and everybody just sort of bought into 
to what we needed to do that week. Well, the celebration was a blast to be a part of. If I may say, it was kind of funny. One of the one of the things that sticks out in my mind was it took you a little while, a little while to come out of your shell a little bit, but everyone at some point almost at the encouragement of the other teammates was like pulling people into dance circles. And, and I, I could kind of sense like, a, 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 I don't know, something lifting off of you at a certain point in the celebration party. I'm wondering what your memory is of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the Europeans are always known for their, their celebrations. I think that was something that sort of Mel and the older players had said at the start of the week, no matter what happens this week, we'll have, we'll have a party on, on Monday and um, let's just make it as, let's give ourselves a reason to celebrate. And, I think a few of the Americans filtered in as the as the evening went along because you could probably hear our music and, and singing and whatever from all around the hotel. But yeah, I think I mean, we that's... are the champions played eighteen times in a row, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah, it was probably on a loop that the cup was doing its rounds and everybody getting to drink out of it and all of that and yeah, doing doing that loop so the, the trophy went round the round the circle a few times and I think I, I remember at one point that Mel had me up from behind, lifted me up, and I think Beanie like threw threw some. There was the cup was pretty full at that point, but completely doused in whatever she poured over my head, and yeah, it was all, um, it was all in good fun, and I think uh, everybody enjoyed sort of having that moment to be able to to celebrate that together with all the people that made it possible. So, you know, what's the coolest thing that's happened since the Solheim Cup? I've seen pictures of you out on the pitch in Irish sporting events. I've seen articles with you about you on CNN.com, not even necessarily covering golf, things like that. Have you felt your kind of profile rain, uh, you know, raise and has it raised back home? And, and what's, what are some cool things that have happened since that event? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew there was a lot of support back home during the event. I, I sort of, we were so busy all week. I wasn't on social media an awful lot, but sort of in the days that followed, like, Instagram, Twitter, everything like was blowing off all of that, and it seemed like a lot of people at home were were watching it that wouldn't normally watch golf, um, and wouldn't watch ladies golf for that for that matter. But yeah, I mean, flew home the next day. Dad, dad picked me up from the airport. Mom and dad picked me up, and we stopped by dad's school. Dad's a teacher, and and all the kids had prepared like posters and and a song and, and all of that. And they performed for me. And I mean, I was, I was pretty jet lagged and pretty tired. And all I wanted to do was, was go home to bed. And um, it was, it was cool to see those kids so excited about, about golf and the Solon Cup and, and all of that. And went to bed for a few hours. And then dad kind of said, you know, there's, there's this little thing planned in our, our hometown that evening. I thought it was just going to be a little thing. Turned out it was me riding around our hometown in a gold BMW convertible with bagpipes and the fire engine and the police escort and flashing lights and people out waving flags and yeah I mean it was just incredible and again like where I'm from I mean I know pretty much everybody they know I play golf but I think it was the first time that a lot of them had watched it and watched it for multiple days nudes all of a sudden everybody was an expert on the on women's golf on Solon Cup it was Nelly this Mel that you know Anna this Matilda whatever like they knew they were experts on what the pairing should have been who hold what putt and had hit what shot at the right time it was yeah it was it was crazy and as well seeing that joy how much joy it brought to people that was that was the really cool thing for me it was incredible that it finished on a Monday I think I think a lot of people in Ireland the hardcore fans were watching on Saturday, getting behind it, getting behind it. Then all of a sudden, it sort of filtered through on Sunday. 
this is getting good. Europe, Europe are leading. We've an Irish girl involved, all of this. So a lot of people sort of picked it up maybe Sunday afternoon, evening in, in Ireland. And then they're like, oh, this is this is really good. This is entertaining. And then, oh, great, we have another day on Monday. Um, so the fact that we teed off in, in the afternoon on Monday over in Toledo, it was 5, 6 p.m. at home. A lot of people came home from work and watched it on Monday. And it wasn't competing against any major sporting event. Even though Sunday it seemed like a lot more people tuned into Solheim than they did to FedEx, but um, and I think that was that contrast was pretty ironic. Guys playing for fifteen million dollars versus girls playing for no money except pride, and um, it seemed to be a lot more exciting and entertaining. So, yeah, I mean that was that was the cool thing for me, seeing how much enjoyment people at home sort of got behind it and and got behind women's golf, which hopefully will be a sign of, of things to come and for the listeners sake you were the first irish woman ever to play in the solheim cup that's that's good you know that's something i didn't realize until uh until i read about it probably i think afterward but do you sense you know you haven't been a professional too long but do you sense momentum in the world of of women's golf if i'm looking at you know the purse increases of the majors over the last five years and how you know, just specific to the majors, they almost kind of seem like they're trying to outdo themselves. And uh, I'm starting to sense some momentum in terms of media coverage and people tuning in and talking about LPGA golf more. Do you sense that out on tour? Do other players sense that out on tour? And is that a topic of discussion? Yeah, 100%. I think Mike Juan did, did a great job at bringing more events, bigger purses, all of that during his time as commissioner. And it seems to be only growing. I mean, you just see the announcement with, with the US Women's Open going to 10 million and, and 12 million I mean that that that's incredible. The big thing for me is getting to play on on the biggest venues, getting to to play the courses that we grew up watching the guys play, getting to go to Pinehurst, getting to go to Pebble Beach, Riviera. I mean, these are these are workhouse venues. Um, and so I mean KPMG. I know that was a big part of when they took over the the Women's PGA Championship, getting to go to Congressional and Baltimore and and these these venues. Women's golf has always been good. It's probably as strong as it's ever been. The depth is probably the best it's ever been. And it's nice to see sort of Nelly and, and those girls getting the recognition they deserve in the media and that. And it does help to have an American at, at world number one. I think the American fans like to have one of their own to, to root for. But yeah, I mean, if, if it, it turns out to be a competition between the IG British Open and KPMG and the US Open to see who has the biggest purse, I mean, that's, that's only better for us. Um, as, as the years sort of go by as honestly as you possibly can is it different how different is it teeing it up you know the purse was going to be 5.5 million i think that's what it was last year for the u.s women's open now it's going to be 10 million this year like are you going to be are you at least thinking a little bit about the money when you're playing for that much money yeah i mean i mean what what's the winner share something like 1.8 million something like that i mean that's yeah. I mean, that's that's life-changing. That really is. Um, that's like winning the lottery at home, really. We don't do it for the money. We do it for the love of the game. But it's also nice to, to sort of get that, that compensation. And, yeah, I mean, the U.S. Open is going to be the biggest event of the year. I think that, that was a big goal of mine last year. I've missed the U.S. Open the last couple of years. But I'm qualifying by like a spot and I knew it was going back to Pine Needles down the road from, from where I was at Duke. And I really, really wanted to be there and was able to lock up sort of qualification for that at the end of last year through my CME points and I think when I when I saw that announcement it made it even nicer I suppose that everybody's really going to want to be there in, in Pine Needles and I would imagine those qualifiers are going to fill up pretty quickly of 
a lot of people uh, dusting off the clubs to, to try and get a chance. And those are the kind of things that just drive, you know, generations, not, not quite generations, but, uh, you know, the next wave of players that just make like more money in women's golf is going to add to more competitiveness. It's going to, you know, it, the more professional careers that can be supported, it really, you know, has an opportunity to grow very, very strongly in that regard. I mean, we've seen that on the men's side, you know, with Tiger purses coming in and how that has changed the competitive nature of that tour. I think, uh, you know, from the beginning of when we started doing this podcast and covering golf to now, I, I, I truly do sense some momentum in the world of, uh, of women's golf on a lot of those fronts and uh, a lot of, a lot of sponsors and, and Mike Wan himself are responsible, you know, get a lot of credit for, uh, you know, putting, putting the money up and, uh, and letting people play for it. It's exciting. But what do you think about a U.S. women's coming, uh, U.S. women's open coming to Inverness in 2027? Of course, you're intimately, uh, familiar with the whole time we were there. We're like, this is a U.S. open golf course. Did it not feel like that when you were there? Oh, 100%. It was, yeah. Even right when we got on site on, on Tuesday morning, I hadn't played the drive-on events. That was my first look around it. I mean, personally, I'm a big fan of Don Ross designs. So was excited going to Inverness knowing it was a Ross design. And the rough was long. You had to hit fairways. Yes, the fairways were fairly generous, but you had to hit fairways. Greens were firm. Depending on how the wind was, it played totally different. And it was 100% a, a US Open venue. And you just you got punished for hitting bad shots and you got rewarded for hitting good shots. And that's exactly what, what a major championship venue should be difficult, but, but fair at the same time. Two things from the, uh, on the team golf front as well, from, from your past as a, as a young amateur, you were, you were, uh, you and your sister brought the Ryder cup trophy to the stage for the closing ceremonies at the 2006 Ryder cup. How did that come about? And what do you remember about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't 100% know how it came about, but I I, remember, I mean, it was a it was a massive deal in Ireland having the Ryder Cup there in, in 06 and tickets couldn't be got. It was, I remember there was a lot of different things going on and somehow dad was able to get tickets for the first day and we got the phone call through that maybe they wanted to bring us, us to bring up the, the trophy at the opening or at the closing ceremony and I remember me and Lisa sort of looked at each other and was like, well, would, would there be tickets? Could we have tickets as part of the deal? We were more interested in what it mean we get to go and watch and, and whatever. And they said, yeah, of course, it'd be the last day you get to go. And like 100% sign us up and um, whatever we need to do. And yeah, got to, to bring it up at the, the closing ceremony. Got, got to watch the golf all that last day. And remember watching Darren Clark finish off his match in, in those stands and it was just incredible the atmosphere of that we'd been at Irish Opens before, but that was the first major, major golf event we'd been at. Um, yeah, I mean, atmosphere was incredible. It was obviously great that that Europe had won, and there was a huge Irish contingent involved as well. And um, got to meet all the players. Sort of, we were in like a a room behind the stage. Um, before the the closing ceremony, got to meet all the the players, and we were running around getting pictures and autographs and. And all that sort of thing, and um, yeah, I mean, mainly had those pictures on our wall, and our, the those pictures and the guys and the European guys in their pink pink suits and and all of that. They were on our walls for for quite a while. We got a picture with with Tiger and all of that, and it was one of those experiences that as a what were we, we were eleven as an eleven year old, you're, you're never gonna forget. That was it was kind of a surreal thing, and we got to to bring it up. I remember they they, they blue tacked the lid shot because they were afraid we were going to drop it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we brought it up, put it up on stage. And yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those things that uh, 
Yeah, you'll never forget. Hmm. I was gonna say, that's got to be about the best possible age for something like that. It's about your most impressionable that you could be. You'll remember that, and uh, you're probably, uh, you know, as as in awe of, of the people you're meeting as it would be possible. So, um, finally shifting away from Solheim Cup slash Ryder Cup here now. Uh, I want you to fill in this sentence for me. If I do blank much better this year, I'm going to win a major championship. What's blank right there? Probably continue to get my irons better. Hit proximity to the hole is something that, that I'm working on getting that, that consistency, especially in, in the majors. The major championships, the, the, the pins are that little bit more tucked and definitely getting those, those approach shots are, are something that I've been working on. Have you gotten a chance to dive into any of the statistical advances that have been made, you know, in the women's game this past year? KPMG has, you know, put together a, a you know, basically their own version of strokes gained. Has that helped you at all? What has that taught you? Yeah, it's been really interesting, I suppose, sort of in the offseason, a little bit of time to sift through it. I mean, there's there's a lot of data there and it's evolving all the time. I think it was interesting to look at, I know we mentioned it earlier, the NB's putting stats and seeing <laughs> seeing how impressive it was um, sort of from that 15 to 20 feet, 20 to 25 feet range. Um, it's just, yeah, mind-blowing, some of that. But but also the the sort of proximity to the hole and, and why the best – there was – there was definitely trends that you could see in sort of the top 10 players in the world, what makes them successful. It, they weren't the longest drivers of the ball. They were, they were generally the ones that were gaining sh- sort of shots, gain sort of approach um, approach into the green and, and on the green sort of thing. So that's, that's definitely where the, the premium's at for, for me right now. I, I think I was like neutral off the tee, gaining a little bit into the green, gaining a little bit around the green and then gaining quite a bit putting for me. So um, trying to get those sort of shots gained, uh, approach, approach into the green is, is something that I've been working on. Well, tell us some, for those that aren't familiar, about your sister. She's your, your twin sister. She's 15 minutes older than you. She was also, she played with you at Duke. Can you tell us about, you know, her transition into, into client management, why she made that decision so early in her professional golf career? I know I've read uh, her saying it's a lot better, you know, make, watching you sweat over five-footers than sweating over them herself. But I know you can't necessarily answer directly for her, but I, I'm sure you could provide some perspective there. Yeah, I mean, professional golf is not for everyone. It's tough. I mean, it's not as, as glamorous maybe as a lot of people think it is. And it's not any fun missing putts or, or being on that other end. And it is a grind. And I suppose she she enjoyed her time at Duke, but I guess she wasn't maybe seeing the, the rewards on the golf courses in relation to the time she was putting in. She struggled a little bit with injury as well and um, didn't particularly like the lifestyle of being in a, a different country every week. And Sort of grinding out to make cuts and and all of that. So um, yeah, she transitioned over to to working with Modest Golf with my management company and um does a lot of sort of my planning and logistical stuff, which which makes my life a lot easier. And yeah, there's also she's also gone back to back to school back home in Ireland and she's in her in her second year of, of studying dentistry. So uh, yeah, she's got a a lot of balls in the air right now. Oh, that's a common that's a common you know path for a lot of managers. I talk to a lot of managers that are also you know going to school for dentistry at the same time. That's very normal. So. Yeah, I mean she's got a a lot of potential clients in the LPGA that have already when she she was at those few events. She's already definitely got people that have uh, <laughs> sort of booked. She's got another three years left in dental school, but uh, there's a few people that definitely have appointments already booked for. Uh, three years down the line in uh, 2025, 2026. 20, <laughs> What are uh, what are some of or you know your number one or top few favorite golf courses to play in Ireland? Oh, I mean we've we've so many. We're we're really spoiled for choice. I think um, 
you know, I haven't, I suppose that's the thing with, with what we do. At a lot of the courses I haven't played unless we've had a tournament there. Um, but I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lynx Golf. I, La Hinch is one of my favourites. I really like La Hinch. Royal Port Rush, I think, is, is a great venue, as is Port Stewart, which is right next door and probably doesn't get the credit it deserves because it's so close to Royal Port Rush. Royal County Down again is is stunning and I haven't got the chance to play Old Head. I've heard it's it's phenomenal. Some of the views there, that's definitely on my list, as is Adair Manor. But like I said, we've we're kind of spoiled for choice. But probably La Hinch and Port Stewart Port Rush are probably my top three, I would say. Have you made it up to Carn and Bell Mullet? I'm, 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 I doubt many tournaments head that way, but it's not a, not too far from Ross's Point and Enniscrone and other courses like that. Have you made it there? I haven't. No, I played I played Ross's and Enniscrone, but I haven't I haven't made it across to to Carn. That's another one that that needs to be added to the list. A sort of a, a hidden gem per se. Yes, it's it's not it's it's getting less and less hidden as the years go by. But man, that that whole corner, if you make it up there to play Ross's Point and and Carn, it's like. You, you said it. You guys are so amazingly spoiled. I think a lot of people don't realize the population of Ireland is about 5 million people. Yet you end up with, I don't know, probably 20 of the top 100 golf courses in the world, maybe. Uh, that, might, that number might be a little bit high, but you, you, it, uh, it, it's, it's, it is funny. I, ha- I had a feeling that you know, there are probably a lot of them that you haven't gotten to yet because it's not necessarily easy, easy traversing, and you probably don't seek out a ton, of, uh, a ton of golf courses that you're not competing at. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, generally when I'm when I'm home now, I'm kind of for a break. But yeah, no, I definitely there's a few that I I need to get to at some point. So uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully if we have an, an Irish Open back on the schedule sometime soon, we can maybe tick off a few of those at some of those world class venues as well. Favorite golf course you've played anywhere in the world? Oh wow, this this is always a tough one. I feel like this is always distorted by anywhere you play well. Generally, yeah. always goes straight to the the top of the list i was talking the other day with someone about hawaii and, and that i enjoyed playing in hawaii in the wind and they said yeah but that's because you played well there so um <laughs> that has a huge bearing out of it i i really like king's barns i really enjoyed the the british open there i thought it was a a great test again i'm probably a little bit bit biased with with links and pinehurst also is is a favorite of mine as well so um like i said really really looking forward to going to pine needles this year in particular the best with that question is I could ask you it next week and you'll probably give me a different answer. And I'm the same exact way. It's like, ah, today, this is my favorite today. This is my favorite. So, all right, we'll let you go, Leona. Looking forward to watching him this year on the LPGA tour. Really appreciate you spending some time with us and uh, telling some stories and uh, hope to do it again sometime in the future. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's, Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!